Listener discretion is advised. True crime can be strangely fascinating. This true crime is odd, macabre, and haunted. I'm Diane, your guide into the shadows. Welcome to Phantasmal Crime. The Toronto Grand Opera House was the scene of a haunting that was connected to a crime that was once dubbed the crime of the century. Ambrose Small was a wealthy theater producer who mysteriously disappeared in 1919. He was never seen again and eventually declared dead. Could this be why he is not at rest in the afterlife? Joseph Small was born on January 11, 1866, in Bradford, Upper Canada. His father, Daniel Small, was an Irish Catholic who opened a hotel and saloon in Toronto. In 1880, he became the proprietor of the Grand Hotel, which was adjacent to Alexander Henderson Manning's Grand Opera House on Adelaide Street West. Ambrose went to school in Toronto at St. Michael's College and De La Salle Institute. He eventually went to work at the Grand Opera House as an usher and bartender. He learned the theater trade and stayed there until 1889 when he got in a fight with the manager Oliver Barton Shepard, and so he moved on to another opera house. This one was a vaudeville and melodrama theater on the circuit of Henry R. Jacobs of New York and his Montreal partner John Bolingbroke Sparrow. Here Ambrose would work his way up to manager. He also got interested in hanging out at the racetracks and soon he was gambling. He made enough money through managing and gambling to buy the mortgages on two theaters in 1892 the Regent Theater, and Toronto's Grand Opera House. Ambrose was able to become really successful because he was able to adapt to what the public wanted. When people wanted the theater with big stars from America and Canada, he booked them. And when vaudeville was more in fashion, he ran those kinds of shows. And when moving pictures became the thing, he showed those. His partner in some of his holdings was Clark J. Whitney from Detroit. Clark died in 1902, and Ambrose took the opportunity to consolidate a bunch of his holdings, and he was able to buy theaters in St. Thomas, Petersboro, Kingston, and Hamilton. In 1904, he married Teresa Corman. By 1906, he was elected president of the Canadian Theatrical Managers Association, and after doing that, he was able to get control of theater syndicates in New York. The man was on top of the world and becoming a multimillionaire, but he was not without controversy. Teresa, the woman he married, was actually the younger sister of his stepmother. He also liked to flirt with the chorus girls at the theater, and if he found them cute, he gave them chocolates. And a little bit more than that, because after the couple used Teresa's inheritance to buy the Grand Opera House, Ambrose had a secret chamber built inside that had a painting of a nude woman, a bar, and a bed to make it easier to sleep with actresses and chorus girls, and apparently that bedding had the finest silk on it. Teresa and Ambrose were well-matched in business and both had an incredible desire for wealth, but they were very different people otherwise, with Ambrose being considered unscrupulous and Teresa was thought of as pious. He was a Protestant. She was a very strict Catholic. 
She knew her husband was sleeping with other women, and she looked the other way. She even took her time reporting Ambrose missing and claimed it was because she thought he ran off with some woman and she didn't want the scandal. Of course, there are those who believe that Teresa had a lover as well. So I don't know exactly how pious she really was. opera house was Ambrose's passion. The Royal Lyceum had stood on this spot until it burned down in 1874. The Grand was built in its place, designed by architect Thomas R. Jackson of New York. The building was four stories, designed in the Second Empire style with mansard roofs, and you know I love that style. The outside was covered with stone and bricks, and the interior featured ornate gas lamps, carved wood trim, an arched entryway leading to a plush foyer, and refreshment bars. The first floor of the building had shops, and there were offices on the upper floors, and Ambrose used those to rent out, and he covered a lot of his expenses that way. The actual theater itself was domed and could seat 1,323 people. And the stage was large enough for big productions, and there was an orchestra pit. The entire building featured steam heating, which was a real thing at the time. The Grand Opera House officially opened on September 21, 1874, under the management of a retired actress, and it operated at a huge loss. Three years later, a fire gutted the interior, and it was rebuilt in less than two months, and the seating was increased to 1,750 people. Production costs continued to increase, and Ambrose, who had become the owner, was seeking to sell his interests eventually. In November of 1919, Ambrose and Teresa sold their chain of theaters for $1.7 million to TransCanada Theaters Limited. On December 2nd, 1919, Ambrose got a check for $1 million with the rest to be paid in installments, and he had Teresa take it to the bank while he went shopping for a fur coat, jewelry, and he ordered a Cadillac. Apparently, the fur coat and the jewelry were for Teresa. The Cadillac was for himself. The couple planned to retire and travel the world. Ambrose met with his lawyer that afternoon in the Grand, and that lawyer is thought to be the last person to see Ambrose alive. Ambrose would disappear without a trace, and seemingly without any reason to do so. Teresa would report him missing, and after the police wrapped a preliminary police investigation in January of 1920, Teresa put out a $50,000 reward, which launched the case into an international hunt. I found a missing poster dated October 1st, 1928, and it described Ambrose as being 53, 5 foot 6 or 7 inches tall, weighing 135 to 140 pounds with blue eyes, reddish complexion, brown hair and mustache streaked with gray. And if he was really 5 foot, possibly 7 inches tall and 135 pounds, he was a slight man. By 1923, the police declared Ambrose legally dead and the case was officially closed in 1960 with no body ever found. Ambrose go? And if someone murdered him, who and why? There are a few people who could be suspects. First, Ambrose was known to rig races at the horse track, and there were many people who probably wouldn't mind seeing him gone. Nobody really liked this guy. He seemed to be a jerk to everyone. One person who knew Small and his reputation was Toronto journalist Hector Charlesworth. In his 1928 book, More Candid Chronicles, he wrote, 
If I heard once, I heard a score of times the ominous words, somebody will get Ambie someday. Our second suspect is Small's personal assistant named James Doty. He had a bad relationship with Ambrose and had even told someone that he would kill the man. James Doty had worked for Small for years and had often complained about his tiny salary. Doty disappeared soon after Small did. He took with him $100,000 in bonds from Small's safety deposit box at the Dominion Bank. Informants reported to police that Doty had often talked about devising plots to kidnap or murder Small. The law finally caught up with Doty in Oregon and he was arrested. He confessed to stealing the bonds and was sentenced to some time in prison. Police were unable to charge him with murder because they had no proof that Small was dead. And then there was Teresa, Ambrose's wife. Small's two sisters, Gutrude and Florence, thought that their sister-in-law, Teresa, had conspired in some way to have their brother murdered. The police did investigate Teresa, but they could find no evidence that she had done anything. Part of that investigation involved digging up the basement of the Small's mansion. Gertrude and Florence hired a private detective unsatisfied with the police investigation. The detective couldn't find Small, but he did carry out a smear campaign against Teresa. The police searched the Grand Opera House thoroughly, even digging up the basement looking for Small. During the early years of the 20th century, the Opera House lost its popularity because of competition from the Royal Alexandra and the Princess Theaters on King Street. The Grand Opera House was forced to close, and it was demolished in 1927. Small had another theater that he opened in 1901, and this was his favorite, the new Grand Opera House, located in London, Ontario. Today, it's known as the Grand Theater. The spirit of Ambrose Small is said to haunt it. Just a month after his disappearance, a night watchman at the new Grand Opera House reported seeing a ghost that looked like Mr. Small. That was only the beginning. Patrons, cast members, and crew have experienced seeing the apparition of Ambrose Small for years. Small is often seen in his favorite balcony box sitting in his favorite seat. And sometimes it's not his spirit that is seen, but the seat of the chair is seen going down and popping back up as though someone had been sitting in it. There was a 1960 rehearsal of Gore Vidal's visit to a small planet, and it was halted when a theater seat suddenly flipped down for something unseen. Cast member Don Flexer said, After a few minutes, the seat went back to its original position. Now, you can tell me the seat just fell down, but you can't tell me it fell back up again. The claim is that Small never misses an opening night. He is often spotted walking the theater's catwalks as well, and phantom footsteps have been heard for years around the theater. A ladies' man in life, Small is said to still be partial to the ladies in the afterlife. Several actresses that have performed at the theater over the years state that they've heard their name whispered in their ear, and have felt something messing with the hem of their gowns. Actors have even reported seeing him floating above the heads of the audience during performances. In 1927, comedian Beatrice Lilly saw Small's ghost beckon to her during a performance. It is said as she moved toward him, a prop chandelier crashed down, almost hitting her. So basically, Small saved her. In the summer of 1957, a teenager named Jay Campbell who later was to become a local television meteorologist, and his girlfriend saw a figure climbing a ladder off stage. Jay said, It really didn't look like a person, but from the waist up it had the form of a person. Actor Charmian King saw a man standing at the foot of a stairway that led to her dressing room. When she saw a photo of Small later, she said that was the man who'd been near the stairs. 
King later denied telling the story, but she did say that the theater's fly tower would quote-unquote sing on the night of a good performance. The theater's electrical equipment often malfunctions. These occurrences are always blamed on Small. But Small is considered to be a benevolent ghost, and he performed an excellent service for the theater in 1977, which many appreciated. At that time, the theater was undergoing an extensive renovation. A backhoe that was being used to knock down a wall came too close to the theater's historic Westwall Arch mural. This painting, if destroyed, could not be replaced. It is said this machine stalled without cause just seconds before this wall came crashing down. It is felt Small stopped the machine. To this day, the theater displays the two remaining bricks that kept this arch in place. The Grand presented Grand Ghosts in 2022, a play about Ambrose Small. During rehearsals for the play, they couldn't get the light off in the balcony. A technician would get it off, and then the rehearsal would start again, and the light would be on again. This leads us to ask if Small is indeed haunting the theater, still waiting to be found, and to have justice. That is for you to decide. Thanks so much for listening to History Ghost Bumps Phantasmal Crime. If you'd like to share with us a haunted crime that you've heard about, please write us at historyghostbump at gmail.com. I've been your host, Diane. Join me on the next episode for another trip through the shadows. This has been a production of History Goes Bump podcast.